I wonder how you're all doing. You look more or less human. <laughs> you know, it's a funny thing in meditation. We spend much of the day, you know, basically just, you know, there's a certain physical relaxation and so the face is in repose and so we sit there like this. No idea, can't see what's going on in there. Sometimes people come to a meditation retreat, either from outside. I know at the Mulan where I live, you know, often just delivery people coming or uh, electrician coming or whoever's coming and then they just see all these sort of blank-faced zombies shuffling around the place with a shawl around them. (laughs) And it's interesting, people fabricate all kinds of ideas about what's going on, you know. And of course, to some, it looks like, you know, a bunch of shuffling zombies going around the place and they back out of the drive, you know, <laughs> like, whoa. And then other people come and they say, wow, what's going on here? People look so peaceful. So, which is true, right? A lot of peaceful, kind of wide open human beings or a bunch of shuffling zombies. And of course, you know, it's neither is true, right? That all kinds of things can be going on which aren't necessarily apparent externally. So we might be there walking slowly or sitting quietly and uh, within you know, all kinds of things, maybe you know, deep sensitivities, realizations, uh, states of great quietude or bliss or uh, expansiveness, etc. Or, you know, kind of storms like we've spoken about of difficult emotional life or kind of just struggling with one's own mind or with the physical discomfort or with a kind of, you know, with reality's unwillingness to line up with my wishes you know, for how I would like it to be right now, etc. And so we kind of, you know, we might notice for ourselves being on retreat that all of that is in the territory and there might be moments where we're so glad to be here, so glad to have this opportunity where we really sense, wow, there's nowhere in the universe I'd rather be than right here. Which is just as well because there's nowhere in the universe you can ever be other than <laughs> right here. And then there also might be moments where we say, oh, of all the places in the universe, (laughs) how come I have to be right there? So, you know, sometimes it's hard or it can feel hard to just, you know, really face uh, humanity in the kind of rather direct way, honest way, naked way, immediate way that we're doing here. And, you know, and here you are doing it, you know. Here you are maintaining that kind of, you know, willingness of heart, essentially. 
There's a phrase that I sometimes use, and maybe I said it this morning or yesterday, something about you know, uh, meeting experience spaciously and graciously. And partly I like it because it rhymes. Right? But there's something actually that I find very evocative about those two qualities. How can I be spacious and gracious? with experience. They're both qualities that point to a certain kind of openness, spacious and gracious, a certain kind of receptivity, a certain kind of tenderness, a willingness to let experience have its uh, passage through awareness. And so I'd like to speak a little bit about that, that willingness, that spaciousness and graciousness, that allowing and the real possibility of this practice, right, where it points us to the, a kind of to be able to freely allow what's here to, you know, to pass through without friction. Now we can meet things spaciously and graciously and we've referred, you know, some of the ways we've spoken about the space of awareness and the space around experience. Also pointed to the kind of language we've been using about inhabiting experience, being on the inside of experience. And we can have the sense then that our practice is very much one about inner space. Inner space of awareness, uh, kind of the sense that everything's happening in here in some way. And I think that's a helpful way to speak about it because it's a way of compensating for the fact that we tend to be very outwardly focused. Right? We're pulled out of our senses very much, pulled out into what's happening. We've spoken about it as being pulled up and out up and out into abstraction, up and out into what's going on over there, up and out into where I'm going and what I'm doing and where I could be or should be and how things could be or should be. And so there's a certain important, helpful, useful compensation for that up and out tendency by what we've been calling in and down, in and down. And feeling for that capacity to settle into experience, embodied presence, right here. But we can then uh, overdo that compensation. And we try to kind of establish some sort of boundary of what we call inner space as if the world, the outer world, shouldn't impinge there. And then whatever it is, sounds or thoughts or images or memories or fantasies or whatever, I kind of find ourselves sort of trying to block them out in some way. So we can go from being somehow caught up in a sense of an outer world. Where's the world? We say, oh, it's out there. 
there's the universe over there, out there, to being caught up in a sense of the inner world. Trying to just be somehow in here. So, what might be the resolution of that um, kind of friction that we make between inner and outer? How might we be genuinely spacious in a way that's not reliant either on outer space nor on inner space? There's a famous line from the Buddha where, which is different ways of unpicking the Pali to, to get to the real nuance of what's being said, but basically saying the, the whole, the world appears right here in this body. Here in this very body, the world appears and disappears. And the world is known and recognized. The arising of the world, the appearance of the world, the sensation of the world, the disappearance of the world. So that encouragement, right, to make that compensation for what we usually think of the world out there, to come in and down and meet the world here. But like we have been exploring, we get stuck in kind of dualistic way of thinking. So we might move from, oh, the world is out there, one extreme view, right? the world is out there, to another extreme view, the worldly view is, oh, that's the world out there, and then the sp- sort of spiritual view, rigid spiritual view might be, no, the world is in here. So, where's the world? Is it out there? in here or if we take the Buddha's kind of most exquisite way of getting out from that kind of clumsy dichotomy he says not one not the other not both and not neither (laughs) if you can land there you're on safe ground (laughs) if you can land where where well not not there and not outward, not inward, not both, outer and inward, and not neither. So where does that leave us? It leaves us here. Here is where it's all happening. Here has no uh, truck with inner and outer, such and such clumsy distinctions. Right? Here. I don't know a better word, really, to point to the visceral, vibrant aliveness of experience. You say, where is all this happening? Here. And we can't, however much we try to understand, it's an interesting word, understand, to stand under, to kind of make solid, to get a fix on here, you won't manage. We can't manage. We can conceive of a here which is somehow an opposite to a there. 
but maybe we can just feel into, not by trying to figure it out, but just feel into a sense of here that doesn't, it's not even that it doesn't have boundaries, it's that it doesn't need boundaries, it doesn't look for boundaries, it doesn't rely on a measurement of inner or outer. Maybe if we let ourselves be here, in as broad a way as possible, as free a way as possible, as uncontrived a way as possible, we might find that here can, f- can be, can feel extremely spacious. Because after all, whether you, know, you look outwards, there's a lot of space. A lot of space. Infinite space. Vast cosmic reaches of endless space. And we call, you know, we call that outward sense of a kind of infinite reaches, we call that space. But if you look inwards, and we're used to a kind of rather lumpy vision of inwards, as if inwards means in here, in this, these three cubic flesh of, three, three cubic feet of bone and blood and flesh. We think that's what going inward is. And then going in, if I go in, it's about four inches in, another four inches here is pretty narrow. Right, but then we're still using the reference points for outer space. We tend to measure space. We think we can measure space in centimeters or kilometers, but space, space, space is infinite. And you go as far as infinite. How many, how many centimeters in infinite? <laughs> how many light years in infinite? No, infinite means the where measurement drops away. There is no measurement of infinity. And so if we actually go inwards without measuring, without relying on a physical sense, what's inner space? Inner space is also infinite. And then we, if we call outer space space, we tend to call inner space consciousness. Right? If you go in to your mind, have you ever got to the end? Or, or the, 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 the center? Have you ever found where there's nothing else left? Right? have a kind of, oh yeah, I think I've managed, that's all the contents of mind now. That's the whole lot. But we tend to imagine, we imagine mind as something contained, because we get a bit confused with the overlap of mind, which is infinite and ungraspable. We tend to kind of, because we have this very materialist view that we've grown up with, we tend to confuse the mind with the brain. Brains are, you know, a couple of pounds of grey, squidgy stuff. But mind, the space in which experience forms and unforms, appears and disappears, creates, you know, views and ideas and and images and music and extraordinary creativity and waves of feeling and all the stuff that we know of as our life and our experience. Mind is an infinitely spacious realm. There's no limit to mind's creativity, no limit to mind's capacity to generate material. That you notice when you sit in meditation. My God, what a capacity to generate material. I think there's not much material here. I'm just sitting quietly. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Oh, yeah? You want some material? (laughs) Some of it recycled material. 
<laughs> a lot of it recycled material, uh, speculative material, but also occasionally some really brilliant material, you know, genuinely original material, creative material, inspired material. Where does the, where does all the great music and art and new ideas come from? From the infinite potential of this inner space of mind. So, I'm. I'm I want to speak in this way about space, not that we, tr- not so that we try to understand really, or reconcile, or or get a fix on the sense of outer space or inner space, but actually rather in the opposite intention, that we just let ourselves be confronted by the inherent spaciousness in which life is happening. The more we get a a sense of the inherent spaciousness in which sounds and sensations and all the rest are coming and going, the less we need to try to be the author of or the creator of or the manager of being spacious. It's hard work to be, oh now I've got to be spacious as well. Kind of... If I'm trying to be spacious, that's one of the things we do with our practice. We try to be responsible for the different qualities. I've got to be mindful and I've got to be wise and I've got to be spacious and I've got to be compassionate. I've never met anyone who's any good at doing that. (laughs) We're good at being petty and (laughs) fixated and and, uh, obsessive and fearful. That we're very good at. But it turns out, actually, that we don't need to swap all that stuff out for being spacious and wise and peaceful. It turns out, actually, when we move towards, where we really let ourselves feel the ways in which, oh, I get petty or fixated, that maybe we can start to notice, how come I'm even able to notice that? Oh, because... Awareness is spacious enough to make room for it. I'm able to notice the material of my experience, the content of my experience, because, here's the content, it's appearing within space. Just look at this now, right? How would, you be able to, would you be able to look at this dorje that I'm holding up if there wasn't space around it? The only reason we can recognize anything is because of the space that gives it relief, gives it substance, gives it, uh, that draws the focus to it. There's no space without, there's no object without the, the, the space that supports the object. There's no mind moment, there's no mind material, there's no experience at all without the awareness in which the experience can be recognized. So then, oh, petty experience. Mm. Obsessive experience. Mm. Bored experience. Doubtful experience. 
all the kinds of things that can easily appear as some kind of obstacle to our practice. Maybe rather than just just focusing on oh the the fact that I'm bored or the fact that I'm doubtful, etc., and then generating a lot of material about that. Maybe what about the fact that I can even notice boredom arising? Maybe there's some inherent, important, liberating, freely available spaciousness of mind is already here. Already here so much so that birdsong can be heard. Appearing in the space of awareness. That sensations can be felt appearing in the space of awareness. So our practice invites us to be spacious. But not, you know, that's a figure of speech, but not actually by us needing to somehow uh, become or create or do the spaciousness. rather by recognizing the inherent way in which there's room. There's so much space that is the nature of awareness that there's room for what's here. There's room for what shows up. And if there's room for what shows up, then I don't have to be so compelled by it. If there's just room for boredom, then boredom isn't the whole of what's happening. room for the comings and goings. And then that, the other part, right? Spacious and gracious. What does that mean? You know, to be gracious with experience, you really mean to hold it lightly. It's a sort of old-fashioned word, gracious, right? But I've, I've always found it very evocative. How can I be gracious with this? What is it that it evokes for me? Gracious, it's just a certain kind of elegance, a kind of a sort of well-manneredness. How can I be well-mannered with my experience? Treat it kindly. Hold it lightly. And it's it's also true, it's it's an inherent quality of the free heart, right? To just to hold what arises kindly, gently, tenderly, lightly. But that's sometimes difficult to access or feel because the heart, you know, has its armoring and its layers and its defenses and its fears. We've spoken about some of those. In, in Buddhism, all the various kind of heart defenses and heart strategies and heart avoidances and heart pursuits are all summarized in what's called the three poisons, right? Greed, hatred, and delusion. 
and I often, some of you will be familiar with the way I prefer to speak about those in terms of just the movements and demands, defences, distractions. We've already spoken about them. The demands, the movement towards what I want, defences, the kind of the pushing against what I don't want. And then all the distractions and disconnections and dis- departures, just the ways of going unconscious. We could also look at all those three movements, really just in terms of the, the way they constrict the heart as basically fears. We tend to think of fear predominantly in terms of the kind of the more extreme end of fear, where we actually give rise to a kind of bodily felt sense of anxiety, trepidation, worry. That we recognize as fear. But it seems to me actually, in any moment that there's any whisper of some material that we're treating unspaciously and ungraciously, anything that we're basically um, fussing with, that the, the, the sort of driving force of that is fear. And you know, you can see for yourself in terms of those three directions, some of us get more compelled by the demand, by the greed, by what I want. Right. So for some of us, the way we most easily get lost or caught up in our mind content is fixing on some pleasurable place or situation or experience that I want to go towards. And for others of us, we get mostly fixated on oh, something being wrong and most caught up on what, what I've got to sort of sort out or deal with or get rid of or solve or fix. Right. Pushing away. And for some of us, we mostly get caught up by just kind of going unconscious, spacing out, roaming around vaguely and uh, towards anything other than this. And a lot of meditation practice or a lot of Dharma practice in a way is a, a kind of just the confrontation with those three directions that we get caught up in. But if we look carefully, we can, we can, we can f- sort of feel the, the fear that drives each of them. And the pursuit of, of what I want, what I'm getting. You know, sort of a fear that somehow I'm not enough or life isn't enough or that experience isn't enough without that. So, you know, what... Who would I be without that pursuit? And then with the, you know, with the pushing away, with the fixating on what's wrong and what's bad and what's uh, unacceptable and what I need to change, right? The same movement of fear, the fear of being with, the fear of being uncomfortable. Who would I be if I stopped pushing? And then with the departures, right? All the ways to just sort of go elsewhere to some other imagined better moment, place, uh, something else, something to distract the mind, something to just fill up the mind with. And the basic fear underneath, you know, who would I be if I just stayed here? Who would I be if I just stayed with myself?
fundamental fear, psychological fear, and existential fear. A fundamental fear, actually, of just staying with what is, rather than pursuing or pushing or something else beginning with P, pissing off. (laughs) And it's interesting because we come to this kind of practice where it's very explicitly about just being with what is. But it's, it's not easy. It's not easy to be with what is because even though part of us, and that's the beauty, right, of the, of the fact that you, we've come to this kind of practice because we feel that sort of longing to be really intimate with life and we recognize the real possibility of being deeply intimate with life. And then when we actually get here, we say, okay, here we go. Let me be deeply intimate with life. Yeah, but what about... No, no. Yeah, but if I could make that happen, then I could be intimate with life. If I could get really peaceful, then I could get intimate with life. If I could get rid of my knee pain, then I could really be with life. If something more kind of deep was happening, then I could really get intimate with life. All those conditions we, we put on it. So on the one hand, we kind of long for a sort of depth and intimacy and spaciousness. And on the other hand, we see, rather shockingly maybe, I certainly remember it being quite a shock for me to see just how compulsively and fearfully I felt the need to keep on filling up that space with content, you know, mostly me content, um, I thoughts, what the Buddha calls ahankara, very nice word it means eye making activity. <laughs> That's most of what we're doing. We're sitting here. It's just a lot of eye making activity, and a lot of the the thoughts we have, like we've explored, a lot of them just seem like sort of junk, right? Me- me- mental detritus, just you know, blah 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 blah. But they're not just random rubbish. The, the purpose they serve is they keep reinforcing a familiar sense of self which takes up the space. Right. So I look for space, but notice I'm looking for space. I want to find a lot of space. A lot of space, but I want to fill it all. Right. Except, on the one hand, I start to feel uncomfortable about being so filling up all the space. But I also start to feel very uncomfortable if I disappear from the space. And underneath our kind of you know initial concerns, the concerns for this and that pattern I have, and this and that element of my psychology, and this and that wish to be you know more centered, more mindful, more calm, more present, less stressed, etc., etc., etc. There's a kind of you know deep existential fear a fear of not existing the spaciousness really space invites us actually to disappear into it that's what space offers 
it offers to the whole of life just just welcome in disappear into me like a black hole listen every sound just disappears into space every thought however compelling however interesting however uh, intense where does it go just disappears into space. Every being that's ever lived, where have they all gone? And the, the, us beings, where the hell are we going? Right? We're on our way <laughs> to disappearance. disappearing into a vast, empty, limitless space. So, on the one hand, that's the invitation of space. To, to abide spaciously is to kind of feel for and respond to that invitation to, to disappear. To let, you, know, you can't make yourself disappear, but you can let your sensations and feel for the endings, the fadings, the disappearings, the coming to peace of each sensation. The ending of each breath. You can kind of train in disappearance. Listening to the endings the vanishings, the quietenings. And at the same time, the graciousness is a way of being very gentle with the one that doesn't want to disappear. Part of us longs for that depth of space and peace and rest. And simultaneously, part of us is like, <laughs> you know, wanting to be here, wanting to be seen, wanting to be solid, wanting to be infinite, wanting to be eternal, wanting to be the biggest specialist, whacking great biggest ego in the universe. Right. And that's not wrong. That stuff doesn't get very good press in Buddhism. We go more the disappearance route. Right, no self, no humble, you know, disappear. But actually, right, infinitely spacious outwards, infinitely spacious inwards, maybe the fundamental disappearing and fundamental expanding is actually the same thing. You know that beautiful line of Nisargadatta Maharaj? He says, wisdom tells me I am nothing. Right, that's the, the disappearing road. And he says, love, so spaciousness, we could t say, tells me I'm nothing. And then love, he says, graciousness, love tells me I'm everything. In between these two, my life flows. Wisdom tells me I'm nothing. Love tells me I'm everything. And between these two, my life flows. Infinite space of awareness invites me to disappear. The infinite embrace of awareness 
invites me to to infinitely expand. And my life can express both of these. Sometimes, some some moment, some particular sensibility might invite more of the disappearance. And see if you can kind of just trust even a moment's real disappearance. Trust this breath when you follow it down through the out-breath into the stillness at the end of the out-breath. Trust the space that is there when this moment's thought dies away into it. To look as deeply as we can into that spacious opening. And then some moments actually invite the expansion, the embrace, the allowing, the graciousness. No wrong experience. No thought that can't be included. No feeling that shouldn't be felt. Including the existential angst or fear or uh, anxiety that might show up. What would it, what's it like to be gracious with a fearful mind? It might be a very material kind of fear. The fear of this moment's uh, knee pain or the fear of how long the meditation sitting's going to last or the fear of speaking in the group or the fear of going and seeing Vibco can be really terrifying. <laughs> or it might be a kind of, you know, that, uh, that more sort of subtle or, or kind of deeply shaking existential kind of fear. I don't know who I am. I'm afraid of disappearing. You know, fear arises to be embraced, cared for, tended to. Like like a like a fearful child, you know, like a child that's afraid of the dark. It seems in a way to be a, a very early kind of um early sort of expression of the fear of disappearing. And we've grown up, we've got a sort of adult veneer of sophistication over those sort of quite primordial fears. Maybe one can be really tender, kind, allowing, gracious with those fears. Just allowing them to be kind of brought into the embrace of awareness. Like you might bring a child afraid of the dark into the embrace of you sitting on your lap. And what we call then allowing ourselves to be, or allowing experience to be, can actually comprise allowing ourselves to stop, rest, disappear. And allowing ourselves to 
be here, to feel, to show up, to express, to respond, to care, to engage. The room to be nothing, room to be everything, room to disappear, room to expand, room to be spacious, limitlessly, room to be gracious, limitlessly. No end to the heart's capacity. So please attend spaciously and graciously to whatever it is that shows up. So that these capacities can really bear the liberating fruit that are the promise and the real possibility of our practice together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.